following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I am so thankful to be here this morning, so thankful for Faith Bible Church, not just to be here this morning, but to, to randomly... Uh, somewhat randomly, not randomly in the providence of God, to show up here 17 years ago. Uh, I was through a college ministry that I became part of that the gospel actually broke into my life. I was raised in a Christian home, and I had heard uh, the things my parents had taught me, uh, but they were not apparent to me, though my parents made them apparent because that's what parents do. Uh, I didn't hear them. I didn't really understand the truth of the gospel. To me, the gospel was more about what we believe, and looking out at those people out there. I remember not really reading my Bible, studying my Bible. I'd done a lot of that as a child. Felt like I don't need those anymore. I know the stories about Abraham and Isaac and Adam and all those stories. I got my Bible down. But my mode of evangelism was to tell my friends, someday when the rapture comes, Kirk Cameron will tell them that they're going to hell if they don't <laughs> repent. And, uh, and because... All of that came out right toward the end of my senior year of high school, my high school career. Uh, that really was my theology. I was better than everyone else, though I would never say that out loud. Uh, I would look at sin around me and think, I'm not that sinful. And unfortunately, though the gospel was made clear by my parents, though uh, many men had stood in front of me on Sunday mornings in various churches and proclaimed it, the gospel had never broken into my heart. I didn't really understand the truth. My faith was about what I knew, and it was not about a relationship with God. It was not about the reality that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. By God's grace, toward uh, the end of high school, beginning of college, I started going to Bible studies, and uh, I ended up at a Bible study where the Word of God was preached from the book of Romans, and God broke me through that book. Uh, through the preaching of the word and through the reality of the grace of the gospel. It's not that I had never heard it before, but by God's grace in hearing it, something dramatically changed. The, the Spirit worked in my heart and exposed me. And that is the reality of being a Christian. It is that you have been exposed by God. God has made known who you are. And the reality of salvation is your eyes are opened to your need for salvation in Christ. And Christ has been declared. He has made Himself known. And we as Christians then know what do we do? We confess. We confess our sins because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And confession is an essential part of the Christian life. It is how your Christian life began when you recognized and realized that Christ was your only hope. But too often we neglect confession. We treat it as something that belongs to Catholics and priests in a little booth and that Christians uh, were done. We've already done our confessing. My goal this morning is to help us to remember and to see and to not just hear and have the truth, but to turn from sin and confess to Christ that we might be changed. Those are lofty goals that men can't accomplish. Uh, so let's pray that God would be so gracious 
uh, to help us and to change our hearts as we seek to hear his word this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true. I thank you that you have shown your faithfulness throughout time. I thank you, Father, that you have not left us in our sin, but you have called and exposed us by the light. I pray you would give us grace to hear this morning. I pray that you would help my words to be the words you would have said. I pray that by your spirit you would transform our hearts to love you more and more, to recognize your grace in our life, and to proclaim your gospel to the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to look at three points. Uh, I'm going to give you the blanks ahead of time because I went to public school and that's how we did it in public school. We weren't willing to wait. We wanted the answers before the test. Confession is critical as you walk in the light of Christ. Number one, confession is critical as you walk in the light of Christ. Second, in quite a while, because we're going to spend most of the time on point one, second, we're going to look at confession brings celebration as you walk in in God's mercy through Christ. And lastly, confession brings cleansing as you walk in the community of Christ's church. Don't worry, I'm going to repeat them and they'll be up front as we come to them, but that's our plan for this morning. So first and foremost, confession is critical as you walk in the light of Christ. Confession is critical as you walk in the light of Christ. Look with me at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Number one, confession is critical as you walk in the light of Christ. Why? Because you are exposed in the light. Because you are exposed in the light. John has already proclaimed in the beginning of 1 John uh, that he saw Christ. It says, that whom which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have touched with our hands, we proclaim to you that you might have fellowship with the Father and with us. John proclaims that he is writing to them because he has seen and knows who Christ is and they ought to have fellowship with Christ and with one another. John's letter is intended to do that, to bring us into fellowship with Christ, to show us what it looks like to live in fellowship with Christ. And so John repeats in verse 5, this is the message you have heard and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. He is fully holy. There is no darkness in God. As a young man, as a self-righteous man, as a man who heard the truth but did not believe the truth, I would walk around with a holier-than-thou attitude. 
And we say that to one another, right? When someone else appears to be pious or more righteous than us, we say, what are you so holier than thou? It's because we know as humans, you standing before me, there is not much different between us. I might try to proclaim some kind of holiness over you, but we are aware there is no holiness among man that can be fully holy. No holiness that is completely righteous. But in Him, John uses the metaphor of light and dark, in Him, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. He is not like us. He is, as the Bible says, holy, holy, holy. Repeating and emphasizing the reality that He is fully holy. No sin, no evil in Him. And so as we have heard the message that God is light, in Him is complete holiness, in Him is no darkness, no evil, no sin. Then John proclaims, so if you say you have fellowship with Him, while you walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you say that you live with Christ, you walk with Christ, that your life is in Christ, the light and you live in darkness, you lie, and you do not practice the truth. Faith Bible Ministry, we have a few young men. I know you got lots of young men. Uh, Lauren and I did college ministry here for about 10 years, uh, and a common conversation in college ministry is young men uh, trying to figure out if girls like them. And uh, Christian girls are all nice, right? And so sometimes it's confusing. Are they just a good Christian, or are they trying to make like, I love everyone, but I also like you. Sometimes boys get confused. And maybe a young man might walk up to you and say, hey, I'm in a walking relationship with this girl. You're like, what do you mean? Every morning she goes for a walk, and I walk on the opposite side of the street a few hundred yards back. We're walking together. No, friend, you are not a walker. You're a stalker. That's not walking with someone. That, that is not what it means to walk in a relationship with someone, right? It's not just the high school boys. It's many of us. You believe that you are part of a team. You wear a jersey for said team. The unfortunate part is that jersey has someone else's name on the back because you're not part of the team. You're just someone who watches the team. You know the plays. You know the stats. You know the players, you know everything about the team, but if you tried to walk onto the field with the team, do you know what would happen? You'd get arrested, because you're not a walker. You don't walk onto the field, you're a stalker. You think you have a relationship, but you're just watching from afar. And now I know I've offended a whole bunch of you. You're like, no, I grew up there. You didn't grow up on the field. Anyway, we're not gonna argue that point. You know the information. What you have to ask yourself is, where am I with Christ? Am I a walker or a stalker? Do I walk with Christ in the light? Or am I living in the darkness and there's no option for me but to see the light because the light is around? When you're in darkness, what sticks out? The light. I've got neighbors that are hundreds of yards away that have lights up on their house and they are bright and I can see them. Why? Because that's what the light does. It breaks through the darkness. How do you know if you're not just looking at the light? How do you know if you're actually walking in the light? 
How do you tell if you're a stalker or a walker? Well, John wants you to know. Christ wants you to know. John loves you enough to make it known. If you say you have fellowship with him while you walk in darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what two things does he say will be? You walk in fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. How do you know if you're walking in the light? One, you walk with God's people. If you are walking in the light, you have fellowship with one another. As Paul writes to the Ephesians and the Colossians, he says, Since I heard of your love for the saints and your hope in Christ, I write to you now with hope. Why? Because the evidence is of their salvation, that they live with one another in fellowship, and that they love Christ. He says the same to the Colossians. Jesus said, They will know you how, because you walk in the light, because you love one another. The evidence of walking in the light is, is partly your belief in Christ, your hope in Christ, and walking with one another. That's one of the ways John gives us assurance in 1 John. And he says, as we walk in the light, what happens? The blood of his Son cleanses us from all sin. You know what light does? It destroys darkness. It makes things clear. It makes them apparent. Early in our marriage, I, I started working nights, uh, waiting tables at a, a restaurant, and it was a fun, hip restaurant, younger people there. Uh, I was not hip or fun, but I was younger. And I uh, would work there, and we would all wear black. And uh, it was kind of dark. And you'd walk in and be like, oh, it's nice in here. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of mood setting. And after the shift is over, the lights would all come on. And you know what's revealed? This place is filthy. It's not because it was a filthy restaurant. It's because filthy people were walking through in the dark all night. Their food's everywhere. Their shoes are everywhere. It's dirty. But the light's dimmed. Why? Because it makes the ambiance. It makes it easy to be and to sit in and things look clean. But what does the light do? It exposes what's hidden. And that happened to you in Christ. As you were saved, the light came on all of a sudden. You were exposed. What once you thought was kind of fun and an easy mood all of a sudden became, this place is filthy. And by God's grace, he opened your eyes to that. But the Christian life remains with the light there. And there's parts of your life you don't see. I'm a fairly tall man, so I often walk into people's homes and I see on top of their fridge. And I know they don't see there. I'm aware I'm aware that they haven't seen above their fridge because it is full of dust bunnies. It looks like the upside of your fan that you never get to see because it's hidden from you. But one day, on suspectingly, you're going to be cleaning something and you're going to see on top of your fridge and you go, how long has that been there? How come no tall people told me? What's going on? You'll be exposed. Your sin will be exposed. As you are walking in the light, what will happen is your sin will be exposed. John gives two points of how your sin will be exposed. Look with me first at verse 8. 
He says, if we say we have no sin, we will deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then again in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Two points about sin and what you must see and say about sin. Number one, if you say you have no sin, if there is not sin that manifests itself in your life, if there is not the outward expression of sinful things in your life, you say you have no sin, he says you're a liar. This first category is transgression. This is if you say there is no present ongoing sin in your life, if there is no rebellion in your life, if there is no sin that happens in your life, you're lying. You transgress. You know the law, and you at times, like Paul says in Romans 7, though I know what I ought to do, I do not do it. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Christ. But if you walk around saying, I don't sin. Uh, one time, a long time ago, I was pretty sinful in college days, you know, but everybody kind of struggle in college. Uh, but now, you know, I'm a pretty upright citizen. I've been to jail. You know, I'm, I'm good. He says, you're a liar. You transgress. Maybe it's that other people are transgressing around you more. You drive on the freeway, you know the law. Maybe you don't. Let me tell you now, and you will. 70 miles an hour. Local freeway, 70 miles an hour. Right? The sign is there. The law is posted. You see it. But what happens? People are flying by you at 90 miles an hour. All they want to do is get to Orange County or San Diego because they don't like God's country. They want to get out of here. <laughs> and what do you do? You go, well, I can go 80. They're going 90. I'm a pretty good guy. It's not like I'm going 90. What are you doing? You're surrounded by darkness. And you're saying, well, I'm a little bit light. I'm all right. I'm not as dark as them. Do you see that 16-year-old kid in the Honda fly by? Not me in my minivan. Mm-mm, solid 80. <laughs> do not let the transgressions of other confuse you to think that you do not have transgression. He says, if you say you have not sinned, if you say you do not sin, you are a liar. Second is iniquity. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, this is past tense. This is sin that has happened. If you say you have not sinned, this is speaking of iniquity. Iniquity is to be broken in sin. This is the state of man. This morning we sung that God would save the race of Adam because the race of Adam is in iniquity. It's like men, your wrench that doesn't wrench anymore. It's your level that's completely bent. So you know if this little point and this little point are level, but you don't know what's happening in the middle because it's broken. Iniquity is brokenness. It is the fact that mankind is broken in sin. And he says, if you say you have not sinned, if you say there is not iniquity, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you say you do not sin, you're a liar. But if you say you have not sinned when God says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the word of God was given to shut the mouth of every man that he might stand before God in need of Christ. Not only are you a liar, but you're calling him a liar. 
you are claiming that the creator of the whole universe is wrong. When you say there is not sin in me, our society is full of those who want to say that the things they are doing is not sin inside of them. It's who they are. And unfortunately, they are correct. It is who they are trapped in iniquity. But your greatest danger, your greatest danger is that the iniquity of man will convince you that you have nothing left to confess. You will look around and see the brokenness of man and you will be standing in darkness. Enough light shining on you that you can tell that there are others who are unholy and you assuming the light is coming from you and not from him. It's a terrifying place to be. When he says that in him is no darkness and if you say you have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, you're a liar. Outside of a knowledge of Christ, that strikes terror in our hearts because we know our darkness. You know your sin. You know your iniquity. You know as you live together, your sin comes out. You know things pop up and you say, I don't even know where that's coming from anymore. I thought that was dealt with. I can't look at my wife. And you know the intimacy of relationships that make that known. That those who love you expose your sin. Not necessarily just by calling you out, but by just living life. So many times at Faith Bible, I was welcome. I was thankful and welcomed hearing Chris speak something and, and me saying, how do you know me? Get out of my life. But just the reality of truth exposes us. So what do we do? What do we do if the light exposes and we know we live at times as deniers of sin? We can live confident in Christ the righteous. Confident in Christ the righteous. It is why confession is critical as you walk in the light of Christ because your sin will be exposed. And if you think that you can hide that sin, that you can do something else, that you don't have to let it be known, you're lying to yourself. Because the promise of God is this in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just. Or maybe in your New American Standard Bible it says, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. What He did, what He says happens. He is faithful. He is not turning. He does not speak out of two sides of His mouth. What He says is what comes about. And He who is faithful is righteous. Completely righteous. In Him is no darkness at all. And Him who is the righteous does what? He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light will expose our sin, and the sin that is most clear is our own. The closer you walk with Christ, the clearer your sin will become, and you will be continually humbled at the grace of Christ to save you. But you can walk confidently that He forgives. You don't have to hide your sin. You can actually confess and celebrate 
the fact that we confess. Because we don't confess generically. This isn't a just get it off your chest, I just have to vent who I am. You confess because the faithful and righteous has died for you. Your hope is rest in Christ. And so you can be what Psalm 32 calls the blessed man. Point number two, you can celebrate. Confession brings celebration as you walk in God's mercy through Christ. Confession brings celebration as you walk in God's mercy through Christ. Look at Psalm 32 with me. Psalm 32, David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Not the man who doesn't sin, but the man in whom there is no deceit. Why? Because he confesses his sin to the Lord. And his transgression is covered. In him, his iniquity, his brokenness is forgiven. Why? Because the blood of Christ. And then David describes the consuming nature of sin if we seek to conceal it. Concealing your sin will consume you. Christian, if you live to hide your sin and not confess it, it will consume you. David writes in Psalm 32, verse 3, He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I particularly like verse 4 as he says, my strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Because we live in Menifee, God's country, it is quite similar uh, to the state of Israel. I know a whole bunch of people want to move out of God's country to get somewhere else. I don't know why. You don't just listen to God. Uh, The climate he chose for his people is the Mediterranean climate, which is very hot in the summer, right? Very hot. In the summer, as you live in Menifee and I try to do any work, I don't do digging in the summer. I'm going to start digging next month because there hopefully will be some rain and it'll be cooler, and the ground won't be a rock. We experienced this as a church, as I know you did. We were meeting outside for a long time, a little over a year, and there was one Sunday, it was 104 degrees outside, and our preacher doesn't know how to preach fast. This guy. And as he's preaching, two kids threw up in the back, right? And nobody fell down and died. I didn't have to raise anybody from the dead. But there's kids puking because it's 104 degrees outside and their little bodies don't know what to do with what's going on outside and everything in them is saying, I got to get out of here. I got to get this out. And so they're just throwing up. Kids are throwing up in the back. I didn't know until after. I might have cut it short. I don't know. We're supposed to suffer together. I don't know what I would have done. You know the heat of summer. You know it beats down on you. You know the pain. You know the feeling of your bones being crushed. And what you mistakenly think is that God is pouring His wrath out on you. You think, this is my sin and I've got to make this right and I've got to work this out because He's pressing on me. He's just wrecking me. Everything is being destroyed. He's just coming after me. I've just got to stop doing this. And so you start fighting. You start hiding. You start trying to deal with your sin on your own. 
and you ignore the psalm of the cry of a father in love who disciplines his children, who says, no, you will not live in sin and not feel consumed. Why? Because Christ loves you. Because God loves you and he won't let you live in your sin and just feel like everything's fine. I'm okay. The love of God exposes your sin. And confessing his sin, your sin rather, commends his mercy. If you live and seek to try to hide your sin, if you refuse to make your sin known, if you think, I'm just going to deal with this on my own, I don't have to confess my sin, you are ultimately hiding his mercy. You're unwilling to proclaim and to give him the grace he deserves. John Calvin said it this way as he commented on 1 John. He says, if we confess our sins, John says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to whom are we to confess? Surely to him. That is, we are to fall down before him with a grieved and humbled heart and sincerity, accusing and condemning ourselves, seeking his forgiveness and goodness and mercy. John says we confess our sin with a broken and contrite heart. We go to him. But Calvin goes on in a way that I think is very helpful. Listen to what John Calvin, not John the Apostle, said. He said, He who has adopted this confession from the heart, as in the presence of God, he who has adopted that he confesses his sin broken before God, longing for God's grace, knowing his sin, he who has adopted this confession from the heart, as in the presence of God, will doubtlessly have a tongue ready to confess wherever the occasion among men is available. He's ready to publish the mercy of God. He continues, he says, He will not be satisfied with the secret whisper of his heart once into the ear of one individual, but will often and openly and in the hearing of the world unpretentiously make mention of his own humiliation and the glory and the mercy of God. What is a sign of a Christian who is living in confession? It is a willingness to proclaim the mercy of God. You don't have to look around and see that there are evil people out there and if they only knew what I knew, they would be like me. You could see within yourself, I can't believe that God can save a sinner like me. And you would look out at the world and you would see what's needed is confession and repentance before Christ. And if we would only bow to Him in the grace of the gospel, depend upon His blood, because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That kind of celebration is what David does in the psalm as he continues. Verse 6, he says, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to God at a time where you may be found. Surely in the rush of good waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad, I the Lord, uh, be glad rather in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. He says, don't be like a, a mule or a horse that has to have a bridle to keep it there. 
Be like the son that walks hand in hand with your father, hearing him communicate what makes you know you are a sinner in love and confess your sin. Be the blessed man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, who has confidence in Christ, who can celebrate the mercy of God because we do not hide our sin, we confess. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you have not lived this way. Maybe you hide your sin. Maybe within your heart there is a little bit of a walker, but mostly a stalker. You're not willing to make your sin known. Maybe you've confessed your sin again and again. You confess it to God and you think, okay, I, I, I confessed again, I'm sorry again, I just need to move on, I just need to keep doing this, I get it. And you just see the same struggle happening again and again and again in your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, no relation but a solid name, gives a quote that I think is very helpful. Bonhoeffer says this, Why is it easier to confess our sin to a dreadfully holy God than to another justified sinner? He starts by asking a question. Why is it easier for you to confess your sin to a dreadfully holy God who in Him is there is no darkness? He doesn't hear your sin and go, it's okay, I do that too. He's perfectly holy. Why is it easier for you in private to confess your sin to the holy God and not to confess your sin to another justified sinner? Bonhoeffer goes on. He says, the answer is simple. We are actually confessing our sin to ourselves, not God, and then granting ourselves absolution. Unfortunately, this sort of self-forgiveness can never lead to a breach with sin. We need others in the body of Christ to declare God's promises in the gospel for His people. We need others to help us wage war against the deceitfulness of sin. Christian, it could be that you know the reality of confession but you live in your mind and you tell yourself, I'm a sinner. You maybe say things like, nobody's perfect. I sin every day. But ask yourself, how do you sin every day? Are you only willing to admit the fact that you're naturally humbled like everyone else that you're imperfect? Or are you willing to live in the light and confess the fact that you sin and you transgress, that you are impatient with your children, that you speak in a way that is not understanding? that you struggle to love your neighbor. And you might think those are petty things to confess. Woe to us when we live in a society and in our hearts so sinful that we see th those things, that's just normal life. That's not sin. Are you living in sin that you don't confess? You don't see hope in? You don't believe the fact you don't celebrate the mercy of God because you're unwilling to say to anyone else, this is the sin in my life. I need His help. It could be you're living in sin. You're only willing to confess your sin to yourself. You slowly justify yourself in that everybody else is evil too and that I'm not as bad as the next guy. You ignore what He has said. Not if you say there are no sinners out there, but if you say you have not sinned. If you say there's not evil people out there, no, he says, if you say you have not sinned, you're a liar. And if you know the forgiveness of his sin, 
you rejoice. If you are aware of the depths of your sin and what should come of you without Christ, you rejoice. See, many people think if I confess my sin, if I make my sin known, uh, then I'll be destroyed. Then I'll be crushed. You've already seen from the psalm that's not the case for you, Christian. You'll be freed from sin. You're lying to yourself. You're living by repentance and not faith. You're saying, I'm just going to put this sin behind me. I'm going to do it on my own. But what does he say? Repent and believe in Christ. He who is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So what do we do? Point number three. Confession brings cleansing as you walk in the community of Christ's church. Confession brings cleansing as you walk in the community of Christ's church. In the book of James, toward the end, as Chris will get there, and I'm not going to preach all of this, but as Chris will get there soon, we see at the end of James, James returns, or turns rather, to the idea of prayer, the Christian life of prayer. And you see through James 5 that prayer is the regular diet of the Christian. We are to pray and we are to praise Him, that our life should be communication with God in prayer and praise for what He has done. The Word of God informing us in that, But do you just live communicating with God and no one else? James would say no. MacArthur would point out, though we normally take this passage, James 5, 13 through 16, uh, to mean healing for someone who is physically harmed, it's very likely that what is being written about here is not a physical ailment that the elders are praying over, but spiritual weakness that the elders are praying for. Look with me at James 5, 13 through 16. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the, one, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What does it say? Let those who are weak, possibly physically ailed, Come to the elders, and the elders will pray for them, and they'll anoint them with oil. As you look into this, this isn't a little bit of oil. You're not just taking a drop and putting it on your head. This is massaging. It says, let them rub him. Let them rub him with oil. Honestly, I don't understand this metaphor. I don't get it. Some of you are the type of people like my wife, and you're like, I just need a massage, right? And you're like, hey, how much does that place charge? I'll just go get one. I'm like, this is a random stranger who's going to rub you down? And that's relaxing to you? I know you people are out there. Makes no sense to me. The whole time I'd be like, don't touch me. I don't know you. Don't put your hands on my feet. I don't like my feet touched. Why are you touching me? It assumes this is an area where my iniquity has gotten the best of me. Because what he says here is let those who are spiritually weak, let those who need prayer in this way go to the elders. The elders will pray for him. And they will massage. So next week, Chris and John and Nigel are going to set up a massage. Just kidding. No. What is he doing? He's using a metaphor. And he's saying, like massage relieves the stress, the weakness, the weight, the fear. Some of you get this. He says the elders will pray for the weak in such a way. To rejuvenate their muscles, to strengthen them, to give them hope to move on. And he says, let them do this. Are you weak? Or are you sick? Go to them and they will pray for you. But listen to the conclusion of verse 16. Therefore, therefore, 
If the weak are to go to the elders that they would pray to them, therefore what? If this is the function of the elders to care for the weak, therefore what ought we all to do? Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Are we to believe that everyone in the church is sick and dying? And so we must all confess our sins one to another that we can all be healed? Is this some kind of prosperity gospel about sick, dying churches that all need to pray? No. He's saying if this is what the elders do, if a praying church is functioning in strengthening one another's as the strong come alongside the weak and pray for them, you all, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. While prayer is the regular diet of the Christian, confession is the detox of sin. I say it in a way that I hope you understand. I'm not speaking pragmatically. You just have to do this for your own physical health. It is all rooted in the truth that you recognize your sin. You know Christ has died for it. You know that's not the way you ought to live. You believe his promises. He has come, why? That his people might be holy and blameless before him. You know he's sanctifying you. You know this is how he works. And so the mature don't have to go to the elders. They don't have to get in a booth with a priest. What do they do? They regularly confess their sins one to another. They make their sin known in the community of Christ. The Christian diet is prayer, but Christian, if you're praying and praying only and never confessing your sins one to another, are you truly living by faith in Christ? If you treat your sin as though it's the ugly thing that has to be hidden and not the heinous evil thing that Christ has paid for, do you believe the gospel? Don't live to hide anymore. As you see sin in your life, confess it. What sin should we confess? All sin. We should confess sin. And the questions go in your mind. But what about, what about my leadership? How do I confess sins to my kids? If you're sinning in such a way that you're ashamed to say it to your kids, they already see it happening. They're already aware. And you're only lying in hypocrisy. And it could be you're sinning in ways your kids don't realize. You go, I'm sorry, I was impatient. But you see them who wakes up and goes, can I have ice cream for breakfast? No, it's breakfast time. Why can't ice cream be breakfast? Because that's not what we do. We don't eat ice cream for breakfast. If you do, like my kids want to live at your house. Uh, and, and you tell yourself, that's impatience. My kind of little lashing out at them, that's, that's nothing compared to them. I'm not going to confess that. But what will happen? What happens if you recognize your sin before them? I'm not giving you a way to fix your kids. You know what will happen? You will believe the promises of Christ, that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin, that you can confess your sin, that you can make it known. You will start living in the reality of the gospel. Stop being worried about what people will think about you and start communicating the truth. And often, Christian, in the world, what's going to happen to you is you'll confess sin and people will look at you like, what are you talking about? That's not sin. Well, you're lying to your wife about your card? That's sin. You're impatient with her? That's just life, bro. Wives are... Pfft. No, friend. Do you know what it doesn't say in the Bible? He, she who receives a husband has found a good thing. You know what it does say? He who has received a wife has found a good thing. She's a good thing. She's a blessing. I'm not called to be impatient with her. I'm called to be understanding. 
Maybe you see your sin is too little to confess. And so you just think, I'm not going to confess that. And all you're encouraging other Christians in is God doesn't do anything about sin. You're not confessing because you think it's little and it's no big deal and you're living in a world of darkness. And you're just encouraging them. People never change. You've always been like this. You are not aware of the gravity of your sin. If you were, you wouldn't even be able to walk. You would be crushed. It would always be like the heat of summer. But when you're aware, what do you do? You confess. What do you do if a brother or sister confesses their sin to you? What what do we do when confession happens? Now, I think often what we want to do is jump to telling them how they can end all that sin. We, We want to give them pragmatic ways to get to the end of sin. And that is loving and faithful to hold one another accountable. It's loving and faithful to help people see things in their life that need to change. But too often we jump over the promise that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're too quick to not tell one another we're thankful that Christ has covered that sin. We're thankful that the grace of God can give you hope in that. I am thankful for your humility to be willing to confess your sin. And I understand some people just, they confess everything and nothing ever changes and they really don't care and they just use confession as a way to get back into your life or to do other things. God has given us other means to deal with that. To make true and make known, no, this this is you just living in sin. But we're so slow to confess sin one to another because we don't even know what to do. We just go, that's cool. Oh, I do that all the time. Oh, I'm good. That's just the way life is. We forget the promises. So what should you do? You should remember. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When all of a sudden your fridge is exposed, don't hide it, confess it. When he breaks into your life and there's sin you didn't expect, don't say, oh, sometimes, you know, it's just too stressful, I get out. God puts providence in your life to expose you. Don't hide it, confess it. And he is faithful and just to forgive it. Let me pray that God would give grace, that we would not just hear the truth this morning, that it is critical that we confess our sin that we can celebrate in the reality that we confess our sin because Christ has paid for our sin, but that we would embrace the community where we are cleansed in confession as sin becomes apparent in our lives together. We can't accomplish this, but He is faithful. Let's pray that He will. Father, we thank You that You are a God who is good and faithful. We thank You, Lord, that we can rest in You for all things. I thank you, Father, that you are fully holy, that you stand outside of time, that you in providence work in our life to make known your grace to us. I pray as we see sin in our life, we would not bow with our culture to say we're not sinners. But I pray, Lord, we would not stand over them and proclaim that only they are sinners. I pray that you would give us grace to be those who recognize our sin, to confess our sin, and I thank you that you are faithful to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at 
media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.